Take your Bibles with me and let's go to Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Galatians chapter 3. From time to time, as uh, the need arises, we celebrate uh, the ordinance of baptism. It's become a great blessing, a joy for our church family. As we pause from what we're doing in a normal series, we're in the middle of the book of Titus. We're pausing that series to focus specifically, to turn our eyes specifically on Jesus um, in the ordinance of baptism. This morning we'll be baptizing two young ladies, Elle Wetterland and Lexi Beach. And we want to spend some time here in God's word thinking about what baptism means. And the way that it beautifully portrays in a very visible and even tangible way what Christ has accomplished in the gospel. Especially in these two young ladies' lives. So Galatians chapter 3, we'll be looking at reading verses 25 through verse 28 in just a moment. Loyalty, commitment, and allegiance to your team has kind of fallen on hard times in our current culture. This past week, one of the most historically famous soccer clubs in all of Europe and one of the greatest soccer stars in the sport found themselves at the center of the news, at odds with one another. This star went public with his grievances against his club in an unprecedented display of a lack of loyalty. Now, I don't know. I, I don't understand all of his complaints. I don't know if they have any merit or if the club has mishandled his career, as he stated. What is clear, though, is that his allegiance to his team is virtually non-existent. In the world of sports, this can be one of the most challenging aspects, because there are often competing interests between the desires of the team and the desires of the player. Yet for the Christian, there is no competing interests. There should be no lack of clarity as to where our allegiance lies. The gospel reshapes all our priorities, our commitments, our loyalty. The gospel gives us our identity. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls. It hems me in. It compels me forward. So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. His sacrifice has lifelong implications and demands and puts duty and responsibility onto those who call themselves Christian. In baptism, we are given the opportunity to publicly demonstrate a lifelong commitment to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he first loved us. Because he demonstrated his costly, unwavering commitment to us. We respond by declaring our commitment and loyalty then to him. We are identified and united to him by faith, we're told in the New Testament. What we'll see this morning as we consider baptism again is that believers in Jesus publicly proclaim their faith and commitment to him through baptism. 
It's hard for us sometimes to understand why this symbol is so important. But we need to recognize right away at the outset, this is God's kindness to us so that we would understand what it is we've experienced. He's given us a tangible, visible sign of his grace to us. This is his idea, not because he needs some information from us that he doesn't already have, but so that we might feel and sense and see again his grace portrayed to us. Theologian J.I. Packer explains the essence or meaning of baptism this way. Listen carefully. This is a little bit lengthy of a definition, but I think it's really helpful, really clear as to what it is that we see in this sign. He says, Christian baptism is a sign from God that signifies inward cleansing and remission of sins. Spirit-wrought regeneration and new life and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit as God's seal for us, testifying and guaranteeing that one will be kept safe in Christ forever. That's what this signifies. Baptism carries these meanings because first and fundamentally, it signifies our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And this union with Christ is the source of every element of our salvation. Receiving this sign in faith then assures the persons baptized that God's gift of new life in Christ is freely given to them. This is a sign of discipleship from God that helps assure us that we truly have been made new. This morning, we'll briefly consider three aspects of what baptism represents for the believer, and then we'll have the candidates give testimony. First, baptism describes and displays our salvation. Let's look down now at Galatians chapter 3. We'll read in verse 25 down through verse 28. This is God's word to us, his people, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, and he's referring to the law. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, that's a spiritual baptism represented by the physical baptism, you have put on Christ There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is what the church is. We're a people not gathered together for any other reason than to celebrate our union, our unity in Jesus Christ. Let's ask for his blessing and help as we consider several passages together this morning. Father, We pray that you would help us to see, to relish, to express our joy and praise at the thought that you have saved a sinner, that you have saved us, that you have saved me. Lord, we are not worthy of this gift. We cannot earn it. It is through confidence, reliance upon Jesus Christ alone and his work alone for your glory alone. So we pray that we would worship you well this morning. 
as we celebrate these gospel truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The picture that baptism paints for us is that we've been baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. All that he has accomplished through his saving substitutionary work is credited to the believer as they go through that similar process that he went to. It's symbolized there. Baptism describes and displays that we are identified with Christ, that we're united to him. We certainly don't teach that baptism saves, but it's symbolic. It's a picture. It's portraying. It's describing. It does not itself affect or accomplish purification, identification, or incorporation, but symbolizes that they have been accomplished by faith. Faith is the reality. Baptism is the symbol testifying to what faith has accomplished. Verse 26 told us, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You're in his family through faith. When we observe the baptisms that will take place in just a few minutes, we're provided with an opportunity to reflect again on God's matchless grace to us. Grace that would rescue these two sisters from sin and its eternal consequences. We're also called by these displays of our union with Christ to give praise to the one who's mighty to save, the only one who can save. Salvation is from our God. One author presents a helpful picture. He writes, a lovely analogy of baptism is provided by marriage. Faith may be compared to the love that binds two people together. It develops internally and leads two people to make a commitment to each other. The wedding is the occasion where that love is publicly celebrated, confessed, and confirmed. It does not create the love, but it expresses it and seals it in a beautiful and solemn way. Likewise, baptism does not create faith or union with Christ, but it confesses, celebrates, and confirms it. That's why our constitution, those who came before us, have written into it that we would recite, rehearse our covenant statements to one another after the ordinances. Because they're picturing for us that the gospel brings us together and we have responsibilities and we remind ourselves of those. This leads us then to conclude, because we've been saved by Christ, we must be committed to following him. This is not a mere empty symbol. Baptism demonstrates a believer has placed his confidence in the person work of Jesus Christ, and they intend to follow Jesus with God's people for the rest of their life. This is a discipleship declaration. Think of the Great Commission. The one command is to make disciples. God has to do that. We're instruments of that. But think of what's included then. It's going, it's baptizing, and it's teaching. This is part of what it means. Making a disciple isn't just making a decision. It's a lifelong commitment to follow, to be taught all that Christ commanded. This in the New Testament is worked out 
in a group of believers called a church. Baptism demonstrates a person is intending to follow Christ. That's exactly what we've been seeing Paul say in Titus, isn't it? He mercifully saved us. And that divine mercy demands a response of obedience and good works. Secondly, baptism portrays our cleansing from sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This is talking about our positional righteousness. That it's already a guarantee that not only are we justified, Paul says there we're sanctified. God will complete that work. We're washed, forgiven. We're cleansed from all sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Think of the beauty, this facet, this diamond with many facets, and we just keep turning it and seeing another beautiful side to the diamond of the gospel. That's all represented here. We're declared righteous before God and brought into fellowship with him and with those who've trusted him. This one response of faith changes everything. The Heidelberg Catechism asks, how are you admonished and assured by baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to you? It isn't just a mere empty symbol. The answer, Christ appointed this external, this outward, this public washing by his blood and spirit from all the pollution of my soul. That is from all my sins as I am washed externally with water. It's a picture that all my sins are washed away. I'm forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. That's portrayed here. A gift. So because we've been cleansed from all our sins in Christ, we're to live in obedience to him. When a believer gets baptized, he again is publicly declaring his allegiance to King Jesus. He's putting on that team jersey. He's making it known that I intend to follow Christ with all my life. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, whoever wants to be my disciple, a learner, a follower of mine, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. Bible teacher and author John Hammett concludes, baptism is best understood as the rite of commitment. It is the ordained occasion when one confesses publicly that he has made a commitment to Christ. That commitment then is lived out in a commitment to his church and leads to a life lived out in union with him. Think of how this is made clear in the book of Acts. Becoming a Christian and making that public through baptism in the first century was costly. And we need to recognize the difference there. And the difference between American Christianity and how we practice it and really the rest of the world through much of church history. Think of the Philippian jailer. He is declaring that his allegiance to Jesus is now stronger and greater than his allegiance to Caesar. How will Caesar look on that declaration? 
What might this mean for a man who's known as a Roman soldier to us in the Bible? What risk is he taking upon himself? Think of it. Is he just going to say that? Because a few Christians are going to say, hey, that's, that's wonderful. That's a good thing. But he's taking his life, his job. He's putting all of that at risk. How does that make his profession clear and credible when it comes with that kind of risk? In Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is why it's our practice as a church to ask baptism candidates to give a public testimony. And then to have another member of the body share how they see Christ at work in their life. As much as we can tell, this side of heaven, we want to demonstrate that we're baptizing a believer that's willing to follow Jesus and giving all praise to God for his supernatural work of transformation in their life. I remember a scene from one of the first frontline missions videos, Dispatches from the Front, as it focused on the country of India. Pastor Johnson George, one of our missionaries, is performing a baptism in the river for several new believers. In the commentary, they note that this public baptism service carries great risk to those believers to that church. Because if a government official drives by, they can all be arrested. Baptism in these settings naturally demonstrates that a believer has counted the cost and is willing to follow Jesus in spite of that risk. For us in America who do not face such risks, and we're grateful for that, we want to carefully consider whether or not someone's profession of faith is credible. Do they understand what it means that they're saying they're going to follow Jesus? That they understand they're declaring a lifelong allegiance. Perhaps there are some here this morning who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord. This display of God's grace to sinners urges you, as you watch what happens, think of the pictures that I'm describing and consider your state before a holy God. See it, hear it as God urging, encouraging, calling you to turn from your sin to him. This church, this ordinance, your own good deeds cannot save you from God's wrath. But Christ is willing and able to save if you turn to him from your sin. Number three, baptism promotes our unity with God's people. We're not only united to Christ, we're also united to his body, the church. So as we unite to Christ, we unite to one another. Our passage says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, for you are all one. We're all one in Christ. We've experienced the same thing. That's what baptism is portraying for us. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So baptism helps us see the truth that the church is a community of sinners who've been forgiven by the undeserved mercy 
of God. It helps us understand that we're united to one another as members of this body, as we're each one of us connected to Christ. John 13, 35 says, And by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Here's how all people will know that you're my followers if you have love one for another. That's another element that baptism is portraying for us. Bible scholar Sean Wright concludes, baptism then is not just a vertical reality, but it has horizontal dimensions. It signifies that the unity believers share with one another is shared through Jesus Christ. As we're identified in him, we become identified with his people. So because we're united to Christ, we must commit to growing together with God's people. So we would understand baptism to be a church's act. It seems wisest to practice baptism in the presence of a church family. Just consider that with me for a moment. An intentional, proactive, and faithful church family who takes this sign seriously can come alongside the person being baptized to help provide discipleship and assurance that their profession of faith is credible. It's tested. It's examined. We do what the New Testament tells us we're to do for one another. We help build each other up in the faith. One author states, baptism visibly portrays the church's commitment to the well-being and care of the newly baptized person as it receives her into their fellowship. Each one of us is responsible to help disciple other members of the body. That's what we see on display. That's why we do this together. When a church baptizes someone, think of what they're saying. The great significance, the care with which we ought to say it. We're saying, as far as we can tell, you are one of us because you are his. You have been born again. We can see spiritual fruit. We can see new life. Church members need to be satisfied that these things are true as we see a candidate going into the baptism waters for this symbol of the gospel to build up God's people as he intends. When practiced carefully by the church, baptism then can be a powerful tool for corporate worship. Haven't we seen that to be true amongst us? As we pause and think of the beauty of baptism, when we have members come and ask, when we have candidates come and ask to be baptized, the very act pictures the transforming power of the gospel to put to death the old life and grant a new life. And this symbol can communicate the truths of the gospel in a more vivid way than words alone. That's the point. That's the kindness of God. Again, he doesn't need this sign to know what's happening in a believer's life. This is meant for our good and our building up and for God to speak to us as well and say, this is my child. For the one being baptized, their baptism day should be as memorable a day as a wedding. Think of it. How many once-in-a-lifetime events are there in a person's life? Baptism is one of them. It's to be as memorable as a wedding day, the day of public commitment to a life of love and union with the Lord. 
for the baptizing community, the church. It should be an occasion as joyous as the birth of a new child into their family with solemn dedication to the task of caring for this new member of the family. It should also be a time of renewals of the vows of allegiance and commitment taken by each member of the church at the time of his or her own baptism. This is meant to remind us, I've been made new. I'm supposed to live differently. How is God challenging the way that I'm living through this sign? Am I living like I'm a new creation in Christ? Where do I need to repent and follow him again? And remember my commitment to follow after my Lord as I die to myself daily. For all of us, a baptism should be a high and joyous time of worship as we highlight what Christ has done in us and amongst us. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we rejoice in this picture. We rejoice in your wisdom and in your kindness in giving us this symbol that demonstrates your love to us, that demonstrates the new life that we have. And we ask for your grace that we would walk worthy of the calling with with which we've been called, that we would remember that we are Christ's We've been bought with a price. Our desire would be to glorify you in all of our life. That we would remember that in baptism, we have pledged to follow you. Father, I pray for Lexi and for Elle this morning. That you would encourage and strengthen and build up their faith in this picture. That they would understand just a little more clearly how bright and beautiful and bold the gospel is to shine in their lives and through them. Father, may we go from here being encouraged that the gospel changes everything about us and we want others to know this Christ. Pray that you would encourage us, give these two young ladies grace as they share their testimonies. In Jesus' name, amen. but I really did think it was once in a blue moon. I really felt I could live up to God's way. But the older I got, I became more bitter and angry towards God. I became angry that I wasn't perfect, that I couldn't live up to his ways, that 
Um, God had allowed a lot of hurt to come into my family, and I was so angry at him for that. I didn't think he was good, and I didn't love the things of God. I hated going to church. I didn't have a desire to read the word, but I kept up and act. And it wasn't until I went away for college that my heart really started showing. I was away from my family, and I didn't have to live by the rules then, and I ran to sin, frankly. I embraced it. It was something that I thought I was kept from, from the front of the world, and um, my heart showed with that. And that began, and I became entangled in sin through many years, and it wasn't until the spring of my junior year of college that God graciously started knocking on my heart. He sent a young lady into my life named Joe, who befriended me, and she really started pouring into me. And for the first time, I told her how I really felt about God, that I didn't think he was good, that he was a cruel dictator in the sky, waiting to strike me down every time I messed up. And I got to a point where I didn't even know if God existed anymore. And I remember she told me something I'll never forget, that God can only ever be good, and he can't be anything else. And that I didn't see God because I didn't look for God. And she gave me two journals that night. One was to start going through the Psalms, and the other one was to write down five things that I could see that God had done for me that day. And throughout that semester, God so graciously started working on my heart. And it was somewhere along the lines that I learned of grace, and it broke me, that I was a desperate sinner in need of saving, and I could never be good enough, that my good works were just as filthy rags, and that God sent his precious and holy son to die for me so that I could have his righteousness, not by anything that I deserved or could do, but it was something that he freely gave because he loved me. And after that time, my life became so different. I started going to church not because I had to, because I wanted to. I started reading in the word because I wanted to know more about God. And for a while, I really struggled with why did during that point, why did I have such a change? Why was there such a extreme growth when before in my teen and young adult years, there wasn't? And it's something I'd wrestled with of what changed? I didn't want to rededicate it, rededicate my life. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do any of that. And it wasn't until this summer when I heard Rob's testimony and I read in Romans that God really opened my eyes to the truth. In Romans 10:9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that was the truth that I needed to see that I didn't believe when I was younger. I knew all the right answers. I could tell you what salvation was. I could point you to the scriptures. I could tell you all of that. But I was just like the Pharisees. I missed the whole heart of the gospel, which was Jesus came to save desperate and unworthy sinners like me. And I'm so grateful that God never stopped chasing my heart. What a wonderful testimony. And I am very privileged to speak on behalf of Lexi today um, to affirm that there is clear evidence that God's spirit dwells in her heart and that she is growing in her relationship with Christ. Um, I just had the privilege of being there when God brought 
Joe, who was a friend of mine, and Lexi together, and then Joe connected Lexi with me. And um, it was that time that um, she was disgusted with herself and where her belief in the lies of the devil, mainly that God isn't good, where that lie had led her. Uh, but she came transparent and humble and true to God's word, God poured out his grace on her. Um, and I, I got to see her repent of sin and make a complete change of direction in her thoughts and actions. And now she desired new friends. She desired spiritual accountability and discipleship. And so it was really wonderful to see God's word work in her life. And I am grateful to be able to testify that this work of grace has continued. Um, Lexi worked really hard um, after she finished her um, undergrad to finish a master's degree in biblical counseling. That doesn't make someone spiritual, but it is certainly evidence that she knows God's word is sufficient and vital for victorious Christian living. And then I was just so thrilled that God brought Charlie into her life and that God brought them to our church and to our life group. And then just to see her take this pretty scary step of obedience um, is just further evidence of a sensitive and submissive heart to the Holy Spirit's promptings in her life. So I am very excited to see how God continues to write Lexi's story and may her life be characterized by sound belief and trust and obedience to the praise of God's glorious grace. Used Rob's testimony to begin really working in her life. I remember after that service, she came to me right afterward and said, what Rob said really struck my heart. And I think I need to consider being baptized. And we worked, we worked through that because often we hear many testimonies from our new members of having made a profession as a young person and then being baptized as a young person. And one of the things we want to be clear is this is a one-time event. So one of the things I talked with Lexi about is, was what you did back then really baptism? And she said, because I had just gotten saved in college, no, it wasn't. This is her first baptism as a believer. Um, we're excited how God is working and clarifying the gospel in her heart through members to speak truth into our lives. Um, so this is, again, a, a perfect illustration of how God shines the light on his gospel and it continues to work in the hearts of believers. Lexi, what is sin and what must God do about it? Why did Jesus have to die? Because mankind couldn't save themselves. Mm. They were in need of a desperate savior mm. and a perfect sacrifice that paid for all of their sin, that could yeah. wash them completely clean and make them righteous before yeah. God. Good. What must a person do to be saved from God's wrath? They must realize they're a sinner and there's nothing they can do to save themselves. And they must believe that Jesus died and was raised again and that his righteousness is enough for them. Mm. 
What fruit of salvation in your, is in your life? What has God been teaching you lately? I would say the fruit probably is peace. Like every time mm. my life would get hard, I wouldn't have peace about anything. I was, mm. Now I have peace, and God is teaching me that even when my plans are not his plans, that his plans are best for me. Mm. That's good. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for the fulfillment of his promises to you, even eternal life? Yes. Have you turned from your sins to follow him? And do you promise by God's help to serve him in the fellowship of his body for the rest of your life? Yes. Go for it. Great. L. At a young age, I got more and more interested in who God is and what he did for me on the cross. So it was probably around Easter time, and I was hearing what God did on the cross and it was like striking me like I believe this and I know this so what's stopping me from putting my faith in him so later that night I decided that I would put full faith in him and I asked him to save me from my sins and to be my savior I've been able to continue to grow in the Lord and understand him more and more passages that have really stood out to me have been Hebrews 11 and Ephesians 6 10 through 18. They have helped me in the Christian walk and knowing him better and better. I want to be baptized to show the whole body that I love him and I want to keep following him throughout my whole life. And that's why I want to be baptized today. I get the privilege of giving a testimony about L. Uh, as a parent, we all should desire uh, for our children to follow and serve Christ. So to um, <clears throat> be able to stand before you, it's exciting to uh, get to stand before you and testify of a young lady who desires to serve and follow Christ and is following and serving Christ even at a young age. Um, so thinking about when I was asked to share a testimony about evidences of her conversion and evidence of uh, Christ in our life, I thought about three things. One, um, in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, it talks about children honoring and obeying your uh, mom and dad. Um, and if you watch Elle, uh, we get the privilege of her being in our life group and uh, for the last few years. So if you watch Elle, um, not just in life group, but around here in church, and you get to see her, uh, you see that the way she carries herself, the way she talks, and the way she acts and interacts with others around her, that she's honoring her dad and her mom by the way she, that she carries herself. Um, secondly, uh, the uh, desire to learn and grow. <clears throat> um, and again, we get the pri privilege of seeing her in life groups, so we get to see firsthand the fact that she's you know, taking notes, and you can tell that she's paying attention in the services because of the questions that she's ask, asking. And even at um, the age that she's at, she's participating in life group. She's not just sitting there um, and then ready to go off and play, you know, even though they, they enjoy doing that. Um, but she's actually asking questions, and you can tell that the questions she's asking, she's listening on Sunday in the services because she wouldn't be asking the, the, the questions the way she is if she wasn't taking notes and paying attention and if her and her family weren't discussing and talking about them. Um, and then thirdly, uh, you know, there's many passages that Jesus talks about bearing fruit. You know, he talks about how we can't bear fruit if we do not abide in him and that we'll be known by our fruit. Um, and we've been praying um, for a girl in Elle's class, and Elle's been 
um, on a regular basis, bringing up Bella, who is in her school, in her class that uh, she's been able to talk to and share the gospel with, even at a, again, a young age that, that Elle's at, she's been able to um, have that desire to see her friends and those around her come to Christ. So um, we've been praying for a long time for, for Bella and um, opportunities that have come up, and so we, and we continue to pray for her. Um, so uh, it's exciting to be able to um, share with you some things that, that we've been able to see in Elle and to see her uh, come forward for baptism and to continue to grow. So Elle, why did you need salvation? Because I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. That's good. How does Jesus' death accomplish salvation for you? He's the substitute for my sins, and so he took the blame, and he gave me the opportunity to um, take away my sins and have me spend eternal life with him. Yeah, good. And what must a person do to be saved from God's wrath? To believe in the Lord and put your faith in him and ask him to save you from your sins. And how has God been changing your life? I've had a desire to have other people know him and even just grow in him in the church. And be, and I've had a desire for him and want to know who he is more and read my Bible. And yeah. Good. Al, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the fulfillment of his promises to you, even eternal life? Yes. And have you turned from your sins to follow Jesus? Yes. And do you promise by God's help to serve him in the fellowship of the church for the rest of your life? Yes. Good. Praise the Lord. Go ahead. All right, we're going to sing now as they prepare for baptism. We're going to sing of the gospel truths that we are going to see in the baptismal pool. And all God's people said, amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much for gathering around these candidates and praying, and we'll encourage them. It's very possible that after hearing this today, there's someone here that would say, I'm not sure I know Jesus as my Savior. Could we encourage you not to leave today until you at least start a conversation with Pastor Jim or Stephen or Jonathan and, and uh, ask them, what do I do next? It may be regarding baptism. How do I publicly profess my faith in Christ? So let this be a really good time in our church family as we make the next steps in Christ Jesus. And one of those next steps is singing while, they'll, uh, while they're getting ready for these uh, candidates in baptism. We're going to sing the Reformation hymn, We Will Trust God's Word Alone. You can remain seated as we sing. He has freed us. 
should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. Why don't you stand as we sing until they're ready for baptism. Yeah. 
who he is and what he has done, not only for them, but what he will do in your life as well. It's a privilege, Lexi, to hear your testimony of faith. It's an encouragement to us all. Uh, thank you for sharing with us today. So based on your testimony of salvation and your commitment to follow Christ, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Okay, so as parents, this is, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to, uh, this is the moment that, that you pray for is God's continued work in their heart and life. You know, as a parent, you can only do so much, and it's got to be God and His Spirit working. I think as you heard, um, God has used this body of believers Sometimes you might come to church and wonder, am I having any influence for Christ? And God has used you, the faithful members of Super Road Baptist Church, to point uh, L to him and to uh, serving him and loving him and knowing him. Uh, you just heard from Joe how uh, the life group has been a significant part of that as well. And so we thank God again for how he uses his body to accomplish his work, and we're thankful that God has done this. It's been encouraging to us. Um, there have been many times where Erica and I have have looked at each other and been like, "Whose daughter is she?" <laughs> like about the love for God, and you know, as a parent, your own faults and many failures, and that's why a moment like this, you see, this could only be God who does this, and so we rejoice with you, our church body, and, and what He's clearly done in El's life, and we invite others uh, to know him, to love him, and to worship him uh, together with us. So, El, based on your testimony and your commitment to follow Christ, I'll get to it. I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried with him in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. on his grace most solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with one another as one body in Christ we will work and pray for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace we will walk together in Christian love bear the burdens of one another exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and as occasion may require faithfully admonish and entreat one another we will aid one another in sickness and distress, 
seeking to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, being slow to take offense and always ready for reconciliation. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray regularly for one another. We will seek to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example, seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel, both to our community and to all nations. We will seek by the Spirit's guidance to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts because of his grace. We will remember that because we have been voluntarily buried and raised again through baptism, we have a special obligation now to lead new and holy lives. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. You are dismissed.